If you guys will stand with me, please. Hallelujah. I'm just going to sing a little song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your power. Father God, I just ask you, Lord, to move Tony out of the way. Speak through me, Jesus. Move out my ego. Move out my opinions, my education, God. You give me the intellect. You give me the words to say. You instill them in me. Hallelujah. And I just, I just pray over everyone in this room, God. I pray that the words that you've given me, God, will touch. It will, it will, it will help. It will heal. It will comfort. Hallelujah. Deliver and set free. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So glad to be here and finally doing this. Um, this has been a process, as you all know, and I am tired, very tired. And uh, I literally called, I called Pastor Tim this week, you know, to try to get some words of encouragement. I've been calling everybody, my mom, my brothers, everyone, been talking to my wife, obviously. And I called Pastor Tim and I said, hey, is, you know, is there anything that you can, you know, tell me any other you know, suggestions. He was like, oh, you'll be great. We love you. And then he told me he's going to laugh at me the whole time that I'm up here. So if you hear chuckling, it's Tim. All right. <laughs> all day long. But I am so happy to be here and be, be sharing the word with you guys. Um, it is an honor. Um, and I, 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 I'm just so pleased to be walking in the presence and the will that God has uh, called on my life. So um, tonight, we are going to be talking about, uh, about um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to be starting at verse 16. And tonight we're going to be talking about the ability to endure in ministry. The ability to endure in ministry. And we're going to be obviously talking about Paul and Silas when they're in prison and they get sent to prison and, you know, they cast out the demon and the girl. And the topic of my message tonight is the prisoners are watching. The prisoners are watching. And as I'm presenting this message to individuals who are ordained and you're in leadership roles and working in ministry, I thought it'd be fitting to speak on the power of enduring while doing ministry. Although ministry was rewarding and it's gratifying and ultimately a gift from God, let's be honest, ministry can be hard, it can be stressful, and it can be painful. Amen. This, is, this may be a familiar passage to all of us. We all know that Paul and Silas, they sung praises and hymns to God and the foundations of the jail were shaken to the, you know, to the floor and the chains were loosed. However, this message in this text is more prevalent today as the world is forever going against the purposes and will that God has for mankind. 
And we have to know how not, how not only to endure, but also how to respond to certain situations as ministers of the gospel. So we're going to deal mostly with everything that occurred before Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and eventually released by the power of their praise and worship. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 16. Let's read. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and, and us, us meaning Timothy, Luke, and Silas, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I want to read that, that verse again, 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. The first point that I want to make in reading this text is the enemy knows who we are, but we have power over the enemy. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? The enemy knows who we are. He knows your ministry. He knows your calling. He knows your purpose. He knows, he knows where you need to go and where you need to be. But we have power over the enemy. And the problem is, is that as Christians, we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to respond to the enemy when he attacks. We don't know how to respond when he comes. A lot of them are not equipped to respond when the enemy is literally annoying us every day as we're trying to do ministry. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, which is the leading major city in the district of Macedonia, which is a Roman colony, and it's northwest of Thassos. Thassos is a, a Greek island located in the North Aegean Sea. And after receiving the Macedonian call, Paul, Silas, and Luke, Timothy find themselves in this city with hopes of sharing the gospel. Let me explain. Let me give you some context here, okay? If you look in verse 6, the Holy Spirit had forbidden them to speak in Asia Minor. They tried to go to Bithynia, and Spirit didn't allow them to do that. And it directed them to go to Macedonia, which is called the Macedonian call. And this actually, this call came from a, a vision that Paul had of a man in Macedonia pleading that he come to help the people in Macedonia. So they find themselves in Philippi. And a woman named Lydia, she's converted and her whole household is saved and they're baptized and she's urging them. She's like, please stay because what you guys have is what I want is what I need for my household. And so we find ourselves when we fast forward into verse 16, Philippian entrepreneurs were making a profit and exploiting this girl's condition because she had been possessed by a demon. Now, divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means and gaining insight by way of an occultic standardized process or ritual. She had a serious demon. And she was possessed by this demon. And what she was saying about the, uh, the men of God was true. Whatever she was saying was true. Like I said, the enemy knows us. He knows our calling. He knows what we're supposed to do and he knows what we're purposed to do. However, her knowledge came from demonic forces. Paul's annoyance came from the fact that this could hinder the gospel by linking the fortune-telling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why he became annoyed. He was like, you're trying to mess up my gospel, trying to mess up my flow. <laughs> it was already a custom in the Greek and Roman culture to, to, to entertain fortune telling. So Paul knew the audience. He knew the area that he was coming into already. He already knew who he was talking to. And he's like, man, this girl is getting on my nerves. Straight up. And, it was our, and, and, and so let's be reminded that with her annoyances and her going back and forth, the Bible says day after day, she did this repeatedly. Let's be reminded that the enemy is aggressive in his attack and approach. He's not passive. He is very aggressive. I'm reminded about uh, the verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Let's look at those three words right there for a moment. Kill, steal, destroy. I'm going to say it again. Kill, steal, destroy. Now, this verse is clear in letting me know as a believer how I need to respond to an enemy who is trying to kill, steal, and destroy me. Think about it. If I was to tell you, hey, I got this guy coming over your house later, and his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy your family, are you going to lay out the red carpet? Are you going to make some, some brownies, make some tea? You're going to get fortified, and you're going to get ready because you know that the purposes from, from this person coming to your house is to kill, steal, and destroy you. All of these verbs are aggressive. So Paul's response could not be passive. It had to be aggressive. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. Amen? What's going on in your life that you need to command? Paul didn't talk to this spirit. He didn't try to make a bargain with the spirit. He didn't try to, try to plead with this spirit. He commanded this spirit to come out of her. Some of us, we just need to look at our situations and command it. I command anxiety to go. I command fear to go. I command depression to go. You, we just got to look at it and command it to go. We have the power of God in us to do so. And Paul is showing that example today. Paul tried to ignore it for days, the spirit that was annoying him. And we can't ignore the enemy. We try to bypass the enemy and we try to basically, you know, shun him off and pray it away and everything like that. But we got to command the enemy to get out of our lives, our marriages, finances, our everyday being. Everyday living. Amen? I want you to notice that Paul spoke directly to the demon and not to the girl. He spoke directly to the demon and not to the girl. We think that our problems and our issues are coming from people, people in government, politics, social systems, things going on in our schools. But these are demonic forces that we are battling with every day as ministers. It wasn't the girl. He spoke to the demon in the girl. And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
Could you imagine if he was passive? If he said, hey, girl, I'm Paul. This is Silas. We're on our way to the place of prayer. And uh, I noticed you got a demon in you. And uh, just wondering if uh, we can have a cup of tea, talk about this demon, and uh, talk about how you're annoying me and, and going our merry way. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> he said, I command you to get out. And it left. Amen. I'm reminded of the scripture in Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Your battle is not with people. It's not with politicians. There are demonic forces out there that we have the power to command to go. Amen. Let's continue. Acts 16, starting at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Wow. All this for doing the work of the Lord. The second point I want to make is it's okay to be human in ministry. Some of us always act like everything is okay. We never process. We never take time. Some of us try to not even cry because, like, you know, I can't. I have the power of God in me, and, you know, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And that's great. The scriptures are true, yes. But you also have to be human while doing ministry. You have to. Verse 18 says that Paul, the man of God, writer of most of the New Testament, became greatly annoyed. Because he was trying to do the work of the Lord and the enemy was attacking every day. We have to be able to feel as human beings while doing ministry. We have to process our feelings and emotions. We, and, and sharing our testimonies can help our spiritual and mental health as we continue to do the work of the Lord. Sometimes people don't like you because of the power of God inside you. You ever get that? You ever been into a place where people just don't like you? I just don't like her. I don't like him. I have. I'm like one of the most lovable dudes on the planet. And I've worked in places where people just didn't like me. And, and, and I was just like, why you don't like me? I, had, I never said anything. I never done anything. And, and what it was was it was, it, was, it was the characteristics of God in me. They didn't, they didn't like and they couldn't get with. I've had people who didn't even know me on the street stop me and say, hey, man of God, or be blessed, man of God, because they could see the characteristics of God in me. 
Even on my worst of days, God's light was able to shine for others to see. And it's that same divine power, that same divine light that illuminates darkness and makes demons uncomfortable, makes unbelievers uneasy. In this case, the adultery of money and fortune is being hindered because these Philippian entrepreneurs are upset to the point that they wanted these men of God to be punished by the full extent of the law. And even though they were Jews, they were also Roman citizens who should not have received this type of punishment. Roman magistrates, or they called them praetors, were elected officials in ancient Rome, and there were always two who were appointed annually during this time. And they also held legal power in ancient Rome, and they had police attendants. They were called lictors. And flogging back then in ancient Rome was very severe. The impact of the beatings would leave a person to recover for at least two to four weeks. That's bad, man. It was painful. And in the next couple of verses, we find these men singing praises and hymns to God. But at this moment, they are in pain. Tears are flowing. Backs, legs are hurting. Stomach, ribs are being kicked in. And on top of it all, they are exposed. Their clothes are stripped from their bodies. They were hurt. They were not praising God at this moment. I could hear Paul and Silas saying, I'm hurt, I'm upset, and I'm very confused. All trying to do ministry. Trying to be the best worship leader that I can, trying to be the best pastor that I can, trying to be the best mess, uh, vocational minister that I can, trying to be the best minister, uh, missionary that I can. I'm hurt. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why I'm being kicked by life. I am hurt, and I'm very confused. They were dragged. They were wrongfully accused. They were unjustly beaten. They were embarrassed, and they were in prison. The inner cell, or the innermost part of the dungeon, uh, as it says in the New Living, Transla New Living Translation, suggests that these men were the worst of the worst criminals. When they put you in these type of dungeons, they, it suggests that you were just the bottom of the barrel as far as a criminal is concerned. The stocks that they used in these cells were made up of, of two boards that were joined together with iron clamps, which caused extreme discomfort. So a prisoner either had to sleep lying down or, you know, on their back. But then they also had to change positions because it would cause extreme pain in their joints. On top of they were already they were already severely beaten. The mob came in and they're beating them with rods and they were already hurting. They were in severe pain. I have a few questions for you. Do you feel this way in your ministry? Do you feel exposed? Do you feel the blows and the rods and the kicks of life? Do you feel the corporal punishment of accusations and annoyances from a sin-sick world? And I can feel and I can hear the humanity of Paul and Silas at that moment thinking, I'm just here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at where I am. I'm just here to preach I'm just here to do the children's ministry. I'm just here to worship. And I'm sad and I'm broken. 
I'm just trying to do ministry. We, as ministers, have to process our feelings and emotions because if we don't, we can hinder our ministry in the future by holding on to resentment and regrets. We have to process. We must process. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. Acts 16, 25 through 26 reads, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And the, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Boy, that's amazing right there. My third point is praise through pain, praise through your pain, minister, has a domino effect in ministry. When you're able to minister through, the, through your pain and your own personal testimony, there's a domino effect. People start becoming delivered through the words of your testimony and you sharing your testimony through your ministry. They have to see it. They have to hear it. They have to experience it. You have to be relatable to the people that you're ministering to. You can't tell me about being delivered from alcoholism and you've never had a drink. That's why when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, this is the best way I, 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 I interpret this verse. He said, I will make you fishers of men. I look at the, 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 the ocean and I see different types of fish and they require different types of bait, different types of, different types of rods, different types of methods and ways of catching them. They also require people who know those types of waters and how to fish and what to wear and things of that nature. So there's people for prison ministry. There's people for benevolence. There's people for outreach because they know how to fish in those type of waters. There's people for AA meetings. They've been in those positions. They've been in their shoes and they can relate. Praise through pain has a domino effect in ministry. And this is when you're able to hurt and still preach, be embarrassed and still serve, be annoyed and still give. There's a breakthrough that begins to happen in the life of others. And at this point, Paul and Silas, they're tired, they're hungry, they're frustrated, hurting, and they are in excruciating pain. And aside from their discomfort, the atmosphere that they're in was not pleasant. This was not a Motel 6. This is a Roman dungeon. The stench, poor hygiene, rats, roaches, lack of medical care. This was the environment that they were in. So aside from the beating and the embarrassment, the humiliation, they find themselves locked away in a very dark place. As they were being processed and escorted through the prison, the prisoners began to talk amongst themselves about these two men. This is called prison gossip. All right? And it makes sense because having no access to the outside world, prisoners get their information from outside sources. 
That is new prisoners coming in, guards, visitors, etc. And I'm assuming the prisoners already knew the backstory of Paul and Silas and what happened in the marketplace earlier that day. And I can hear the prisoners saying, aren't those the two men that were flogged today? I heard they were sharing something about good news or a savior. Yeah, I heard, I heard that one got beat up really good today. And I can hear the prisoners saying, I wonder who will save them now. People do it now, don't they? They do it now. Isn't that pastor so-and-so? I heard he lost his church last, last month because of this, that, and third. Isn't that, isn't that so-and-so? I heard she used to be on the worship team, but something went down, and I don't know, she's not singing anymore. And what we do is we look them up to see how they're doing. We check out their social media pages and things of that nature because we knew who they used to be and we knew what they used to do in ministry and we heard about what happened and now we want to see what the response is going to be. People, especially unbelievers, are watching how we respond. Social media posts, blogs, I can't tell you how many Christians complain on social media, my Jesus. Pray for them. <laughs> Every day, complaining, 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 and there's no ministry, there's no salvation, there's no sharing of the gospel. It's just this, that, and the third. And they don't understand that unbelievers watch every post, every blog, every picture. You have to understand that unbelievers want to experience God by the way we handle the trials of our life. That's how they want to experience God. And at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, it is not about us. It's about the ministry. I actually heard a minister say, if I have to go through misery for my ministry, send me Jesus. If I have to go through misery for my ministry, send me Jesus. This is stuff that's not taught. We always want to teach about all the blessings of God and how he's just going to bless my socks off, my finances, and he's going to give me this, give me that, give me this. But we don't want to talk about the suffering that comes with the lifestyle that we chose. We always say that he's a good, good father. And I had to think about that. Because the conclusion that someone would get when they hear he's a good, good father and we sing the song, he's a good, good father, is that I'm just going to be getting, 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 getting all the time. He's just going to bless, bless, bless all the time. And I had to think about me as being a father to my own son. One time this boy asked me at six, Daddy, can you give me the keys to the car so I can drive? I said, no. Does that make me a bad dad because I said no? No, it does not. You're not ready. We don't like it when God says no. We don't like it when God doesn't give. And he could see way farther than what we can, and that's what a good father does. He makes sure, he's, he makes sure that we are never in a place where we can mess up the blessing that he gives us. 
We don't teach about that. My dad, he has, he has his, you know, his stuff. But he was a good dad. He was a great dad. I remember he had, <laughs> he had told me, he said, I, I want you to start taking the trash out. I said, all right. And I forgot twice. And the first time he gave me grace. The second time was not so much grace. But the way he, the way he trained me and the way he showed me and taught me, he didn't yell at me, he didn't chastise me. I woke up one morning and that trash was literally on my bed. I was like, what is that smell? <laughs> the trash was right there and I forgot it again and it was just a big bag of trash. And I was like, man, that stinks. And I went to him and I already knew I got the message, but I went to him and I was like, dad, you could have told me. He said, I, want you to, I wanted you to learn what a place smells like when you don't take out the trash. And I just loved the way he would teach me by showing me and actually putting me in a position when I was irresponsible and I missed the mark or I missed a day or I missed taking out the trash or I missed watering the grass. I, I just loved how he just showed me instead of just chastising me. And God is just that good. Amen. I want to leave you with this final thought. And it's my last point. Praise and worship must be a part of our lifestyle. Praise and worship must be a part of our lifestyle, along with the other disciplines, the discipline of meditation, fasting, study, prayer. It has to be a part of our lifestyle. Why do I say this? Because the only way that these two men can find a praise after a very long day was because it was already a part of their lifestyle. It was so common that in the midst of the hurt and the pain, they were able to look up and see the prisoners locked up, not only physically, but spiritually. And they understood at that moment that the salvation of everyone in that prison was more important than their own personal hurt, pain, and discomfort. There is a praise that we have here at Cornerstone that has the power to shake the Lehigh Valley, amen? There is a praise that we have at Cornerstone that has the power to shake city council, school districts, and various social systems. When we are able to praise through the pains and the hurts that come along with doing the work of the Lord, we begin to see the chains fall off of not only the people that are around us, but ourselves as well. Our testimony should drive our sermons, our worship, our praise, and our service. And it is that same testimony that relates to the unbeliever and leads them to salvation. We still have family members. We still have coworkers. We still have people who come every Sunday, and they're still struggling with sin, but they're also watching our example. They're watching our response. They're watching how we live this life. It's not about us. It's about the prisoners who are watching us. Amen. Let's bow our head and pray.
Father God, Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for using me for your service. I thank you, Lord, for every individual in this room. God, I pray over them, God, their ministries, their peace, their health, their strength, God. I pray, Lord, for the endurance to do this day after day as the enemy is attacking day after day. God, be with all of us, God. Give us the strength to endure. Give us the joy, the peace. Restore Jesus. And I thank you in advance for what you're getting ready to do in Lehigh Valley, what you're getting ready to do in Cornerstone, and what you're getting ready to do in the world, Jesus. I thank you, God, for this word, and I praise your name. Amen.